Greetings, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Plan B Success. We have Bruce Tulgan today from Rainmaker Thinking. We'll find out what Bruce does, but he's focused on being indispensable at work. And he's also focused on young people and how they can succeed at work. He's got a book by the name, Being Dispensable at Work, as well. We'll find out all about him, and joining us from Connecticut is Bruce. Welcome, Bruce. Thank you so much uh, for having me on your show. Absolutely. It's a pleasure. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, so uh, Rainmaker Thinking uh, is a research and training firm based in New Haven, Connecticut. Uh, we've been doing research on the front lines of the workplace for 27 years, um, and everything we do is based on in-depth interview research. So more than a half a million people from more than 400 organizations have participated in our research over the last 27 years. And based on this ongoing research, we uh, do our very best to uh, identify best practices and um, share them with folks uh, through our content. And how long has uh, Rainmaker Thinking been in existence? Well, 27 years. Back then, uh, I was an unhappy lawyer at number two Wall Street in New York City. And um, uh, I wrote my first book was Managing Generation X back in the early 90s. So you actually studied to become a lawyer but were not happy with it? I was a lawyer for 428 days. <laughs> yeah, I, I went to law school, you know, and, um, and I worked as a lawyer. And, uh, you know, I ran around and did what the grown-ups told me. And uh, after 428 days, um, I thought, you know, I'm going to finish this book about uh, how the, how the grown-ups don't understand the young people. So what do you think really picked your interest in going after learning about people, generations, you know, what makes them succeed at work, that kind of thing? Well, I mean, I was a young person uh, at work. <laughs> and, uh, so, you know, I had been in school my whole life. And um, like a lot of 25-year-olds coming out of law school, you know, I went to the best job I was offered. And, um, you know, pretty soon I found myself uh, kind of bored and frustrated. And, um, you know, I find the law very interesting, but what lawyers do with the law, less so. <laughs> and, um, uh, you know, at that time, uh, it was the first blush of the internet was starting to emerge, you know. And uh, older, more experienced people were complaining a lot about people my age. Uh, back then, I was young, and uh, um, and they were complaining about you know Generation X. And so I started. What I thought I would do is write an article called "What Your Young Employees Are Whispering About Over Lunch," and um, it turned into Managing Generation X, and then. You know, that book just came out at the right time and uh, just got a lot of attention. And then very quickly what happened was, you know, older, more experienced people in very traditional organizations were worried about Generation X. It was the 90s. And so um, I had this book. So they started calling me and saying, uh, 
you know, help the grownups understand the young people. And I was still young. So I just have been in that business now for 27 years. So I'm not so young anymore. So, you know, when you look at that time versus when you look at now, we talk about millennials and all that stuff. Do you see the same issues right now? Or do you see any differences or anything that from your vantage point between then and now? Yeah, I mean, look, some things are just about being young. You know, they're life stage issues. Uh, everybody goes through the natural developmental stages, right? You start out young and God willing, you get older. Uh, and, you know, you, you have your first job and then, you know, you learn a little bit and then you have your next job. And then, um, so, so, so some of those things, um, they don't change. But I think the difference with generational issues is that they come from the accidents of history that intersect with those natural developmental life stages. So, you know, globalization and technology, institutions in a state of constant flux, individuals scrambling to take care of themselves, the information tidal wave, the pace of change and immediacy, you know, these are long-term trends, but, uh, you know, there's definitely change over time. There are accidents of history, but those accidents of history are what define generational differences. But let's, let's talk about the current generation, right? Back to your point, you know, technology has evolved so much, but there's no one right or wrong way is the way I look at it. You know, there was a time when all the youngsters were just getting into cities and living in cities and working there and all that. And I was reading an article the other day, a couple of days ago, where with all that's going on with COVID-19 and the other issues and all, apparently there's a lot of outflux of the youngsters getting into suburbs and such. And now companies are thinking about also moving out. You know, it, it's this or that. There's, there's no one right way. And there's nothing to say that maybe, I don't know, a couple of years from now, they'll all go back into the cities as well. Yeah, I mean, look, so I'm not one of these people who believes that all styles are equally valid. Right. Uh, but nonetheless, of course, you know, there's lots of ways uh, to succeed and um, everybody's got to make their own choices. And there are many, 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 many valid choices. But look, you know, you, you, COVID-19 is a great example of an accident of history that is going to shape a generation. I mean, it's affecting all of us. But if you're just starting out your career in the midst of this craziness, you know, think about how generationally defining that is, right? And then t take it another level. Um, you know, if you're a, a second wave millennial or a post millennial generation Zer, you know, um, you've grown up learning how to think, learn, and communicate while attached to a handheld supercomputer. You've, you're probably very comfortable being atomized in your own private nest, but being interconnected to an infinite number of people and sources of information, you know, regardless of geography. So, you know, it's, 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 um, this accident of history is, is going to define uh, all of our futures, but uh, the younger, less experienced people more so. And 
maybe they're very well um, prepared uh, to do everything from their private nest with a handheld supercomputer. Right. And we see that with the education too, right? When 20 plus years ago, going to college, getting a college degree was a big thing. It's a, it was a coveted thing in order to have a foolproof career, so to speak. Now, people are questioning college. Now, people are questioning whether it's important to go get a college education at all, because you could still get into a job. You could still have a decent living without really doing that. It's not about what is right, but it's about which way it's going. Yeah. So what do you have to say to that? Yeah, I mean, look, um, so I think that there are some areas of expertise that require formal education and training uh, in an institution with, uh, uh, you know, what might seem like an old-fashioned pedagogy, but there's no question that um, so many technical skills become obsolete so quickly, uh, you know, that you've got to keep learning anyway. Um, it's also the case that attending um, an institution of higher education can be very costly. We know it's time-consuming. Um, I'll tell you, you know, in, in our client base, uh, among the most in-demand uh, um, skills um, are some of the, the building trades. Um, you know, uh, it's very hard to find somebody who knows how to do electrical work, who knows how to do uh, basic plumbing. Uh, you know, um, there's a huge supply and demand imbalance when it comes to that kind of work, which you wouldn't be prepared for in most institutions of higher education. You know, on the other hand, I don't want a surgeon who didn't go to medical school. Right. You know? Yeah. So let's look at your own life, right? So when I look back 27 plus years ago, that was something that you did where you said, okay, here's a great career that I could have after I do my law school and boom, you know, one day you make the shift and I'm sure you had, pushback probably from, I don't know, family, friends and such. But 27 years ago, to do that without really knowing what you would do in the new career that you were carving out for yourself, how was that experience? Well, I mean, my parents said, wait a minute, you're, you're quitting your job at this Wall Street law firm and you're going to write a book? <laughs> that sounds like a great idea, right? So, um, of course, uh, uh, it didn't sound like a good bet. And um, uh, in fact, you know, for a long time, uh, it, it certainly wasn't lucrative. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, and some part of it was luck because the book just happened to be the right thing at the right time. And it got a lot of attention and people started calling and saying, could you come speak to our leaders and what's your fee? And I was like, you know, I beg your pardon. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so and then I started to think. Well, gee, uh, you know, in fact, the very first call we got was from GE, and back then Jack Welch was the CEO of GE, and they said, "Oh yeah, we're calling from Mr. Welch's office at GE, and Mr. Welch would like you to come speak to his leaders about Generation X." And I was like, "You mean Jack Welch from GE?" <laughs> and they said, "What's your fee?" And my first thought was, 
what's a lot? I don't know. What, what should it be? So, you know, in my case, um, yeah, I went from something that was very secure. Look, my wife got her PhD in American history at Yale uh, and, and never, um, I mean, she taught, she teaches some, but she did not pursue an academic career. And both of us now, look, we're in our fifties and we think, gee, you know, maybe she'd be a tenured professor now, you know, I'd be a partner at some big shot law firm and, um, you know, uh, uh, being an entrepreneur, uh, means there's a huge amount of freedom but it also means uh, there's a huge amount of risk. Absolutely. Although, you know, I also wonder nowadays if attaching your wagon to the star of an established organization, you know, how much security does that really provide? Look around. Mm -hmm. So let's, let's talk about that aspect of it, right? What are some of the, downturns that you went in. Uh, like you said, it's a lot of risk. 27 years you've been doing it. I'm sure you've had some really tough times. I'm sure you've had some exhilarating moments. And you know, everybody talks about success. I'd like to find out more about what was that risk like? What were some of the downturns that you faced? I'm sure looking back, you don't regret anything at this point if you're still doing it. <laughs> but that's the thing that people would be interested in knowing. Well, sometimes I think if I had walked across the street from number two Wall Street and gone to one of the investment banks, you know, I'd be retired now. <laughs> but uh, that probably wouldn't have been that much fun. I don't know. You know, uh, of course, after 9-11, uh, there was a huge economic slowdown um, in 2008, 9, uh, 10. Uh, things were very rough. Um, right now, you know, if, how'd you like to be in the business of going around speaking to, uh, auditoriums packed with people all over the world? <laughs> you know, there's, there's not a lot of, um, that happening right now. And so what we're doing right now, I mean, look, um, you know, my whole schedule was canceled. You know, I had, I, I haven't, I haven't, um, been on an airplane in three months. Before that, uh, I was I was traveling most of the well, stay half the time, mm -hmm. um, and um, so this is a scary time. Uh, a lot of people who do what I do uh, are going to have a hard time adapting and making it through this. Uh, we have the good fortune that you know we've been in business for a long time, and what you know what we've done actually is install a production studio in our office so that we can do interviews and focus groups and other corporate research remotely from uh, this studio. Uh, we have um, uh, and, and so that we can do seminars, you know. We, we have a, 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 you know, a TV studio with a green screen so that I can do keynotes. Um, where are you in Virginia? You know, I could do a keynote from, uh, for, I could, right now I could just appear at the Lincoln Memorial, right. <laughs> you know, because there's a green screen behind me. So, you know, we're adapting right now. Uh, mm -hmm. It's a scary time. Absolutely. I mean, I have a book coming out in July. 
uh, normally I'd be going all over creation uh, speaking about it. And uh, uh, now we're doing it all from, from this studio. Let's talk about it. So what's the book about? Yeah, it's called The Art of Being Indispensable at Work. Mm -hmm. And it was not written for the pandemic. I finished it a couple of weeks before uh, the pandemic. And, um, but in a way, it might as well have been because, you know, it's all about operating in an environment of uncertainty. It's all about operating in working relationships despite unclear lines of authority. It's all about having people come to you with asks uh, and requests, people who are maybe not your boss, not on your team, uh, but people up, down, sideways, diagonal, you know, can you do this for me? Can you do it? Sometimes you don't even know who it is if you're in a large company. Um, who is this person emailing me, for, you know, and, and, you know, you're not my boss. That's not my job. And, and likewise, you have to rely on people all over the place without being able to hold them accountable. So operating in this increasingly demanding, uncertain environment without clear lines of authority uh, and subject to so many factors outside your control, how do you make yourself indispensable in that environment without succumbing to overcommitment syndrome, without drowning in other people's priorities? How, how do you make yourself indispensable without saying yes, 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 yes to everyone? and then drowning in their priorities. That's, that was the problem I set out to solve in the book. All right. So when you, when you look at your book writing aspect of it, right, what is the process you follow? Well, everything we do is based on research. So what happens is, you know, we're always interviewing people. We're always doing focus groups. And, um, and we're, we do a lot of uh, consulting and training. So, uh, uh, so even though the seminars are not focus groups, they also double as focus groups because the questions people are asking like, well, you know, okay, I've got this figured out with my boss, but I have all these colleagues from other teams asking me for stuff. Um, uh, so what happens is when a problem begins to surface, and then it begins to come up over and over and over again. And then it seems to be something that a lot of people are struggling with. Then I get very interested in it. And then what I do is I try to look in our interview data for solutions. And, uh, and then I start to zero in on those solutions. And that's how the books crystallize. I mean, that's why I've been able to write so many books because um, I didn't make this stuff up. The, the research kind of, the research does a lot of the work. Mm -hmm. And do you, do you use a certain publisher right now for your books? Um, so the one that's coming out in July is Harvard Business Review Press. And I'm, I'm, uh, I'm really excited about that. Uh, uh, Wiley has published my last four books Harper Collins did uh, the book before that. It's okay to be the boss. Um, came out in 2007, uh, and I am proud to say uh, it still sells and sells. That's Harper Collins, <laughs> but yeah. But I'm delighted to be with Harvard Business School uh, Business Review Press. Um, you know, it makes me feel all grown up. 
<laughs> so, you know, one of the things that I have seen, and especially with, with the current pandemic and what it's done, if we really look at new trends, you know, they take time to set um, where people embrace them and start doing things, you know, whether it's remote work, which, which is right now the topic of the day, right? A lot of companies, a lot of people working remotely, a lot of companies even ideating whether to have the majority of their workforce work from home versus in offices. Now, if you really look at it, you know, the push for remote work has been going on for a couple of years now. And things like this generally take time. You know, I would say I would venture to say maybe next 10 years it would have taken before everybody across the globe understood the productivity or the measures or the flexibility that you get with a work life balance, especially with a remote work set. But now this pandemic has accelerated that and and it's done that to other other areas of work as well. What are your thoughts about that? Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. I, my running joke is uh, that, you know, until a few months ago, uh, the only people who, who uh, got to work at home were people who had a lonely dog at home, you know, so, oh, the dog just needs me there, you know. And then somehow either uh, they had enough negotiating power with their boss or uh, they had what I call, you know, a nice guy boss who tried to let everybody, hey, come to work whenever you feel like it, um, work from home, work wherever you want. Or, or uh, they, they were a superstar who, who had that kind of negotiating power um, and, and, uh, and, and did the kind of work that people thought, yeah, okay, that could be done from home. So it was... There was a lot of randomness to it and, and uh, a lot of stumbling into it, uh, a lot of uh, uh, trial and error. You know, people would do it and it didn't work or they do it and it worked out great. Um, now, I think the primary driver is going to be CEOs who are realizing with everyone working from home, how much money they're wasting on commercial real estate and travel and entertainment budgets and um, and, and, you know, also all of the productive capacity that is wasted in commute time, right? I mean, if, if you've got somebody who's commuting an hour each way to work right now, they could be working an extra hour a day and saving an extra hour a day and everybody wins. Uh, and, uh, uh, instead of, uh, spending top dollar for the commercial real estate where they were officing, uh, they're working from their, their, uh, dining room or something. Absolutely. So, yeah, I think, um, and you're exactly right that, that, uh, uh, and I even think now, uh, a lot of our clients, I can tell when they're talking about, okay, we're going to go back to work. How are we going to go back to work? Um, who's going to go back to work? Well, some people, we don't think we're doing that much from home. So we'll have them come back, but we won't tell anyone why, you know, and the people who were doing a great job at home, they can keep working from home, you know, so you might have like, well, you know, the losers have to come back to the office and everyone else gets to stay at home. Whereas some organizations are going to be very strategic about planning this future but you're right. It's, um, it's a great example of an acceleration of a trend that was taking too long to materialize. Absolutely. So your book, you said it comes out in July and where can people find it? 
Yeah, I mean, it's Harvard Business Review Press, so it should be everywhere. I would say it'll be in the airport bookstore, but I don't know if there are still airport bookstores because I haven't been in an airport for three <laughs> months. Um, so, you know, of course, it's on Amazon, it's at BNN, and it's all about how to win influence by beating over commitment, getting the right things done. Um, it's, the, the, the book is all about how to build real influence by really serving others, uh, by playing the long game, uh, not by trying to, to badger people, not by trying to peddle influence, but by trying to build up your influence in the hearts and minds of other people. The thing that really um, blew me away when I began to see, well, you know, I'm interested in what I call go-to people. You know, the people, that's, that's what I call the indispensables, right? The go-to people, right? Mm -hmm. You always want to go to them. What do they have in common? Um, and what they have in common is that their influence lives in your brain. Their influence lives in your heart. That what makes them powerful is what other people think about. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I just, I love that. And uh, so... Um, what we learned was that it's not people who say yes, yes, yes to everyone and everything. It's the people who are really good at staying aligned with their boss, uh, keeping their direct reports aligned, um, uh, having structured communication with their colleagues, respecting other people's needs, um, and, and, and being really good at uh, uh, when to say no and how to say yes and making a plan and uh, uh, trying to specialize in the things that uh, you have to do a lot, so you do them very well, very fast. Um, focused execution, uh, not finger pointing and blaming, but continuous improvement with other people. Uh, it's 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 all about relationships, but it's it's about making sure the work goes well, so that the relationships go well. Absolutely, and then under the rainmaker thinking umbrella. If you, I know you talked about it a little bit, but if you were to give a, a menu of services that you provide, what would they be? Well, if you go to rainmakerthinking.com, you'll see that we, we have a lot of free stuff there. It's, 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 we do research and try to make the content available. Uh, but um, we do a lot of uh, seminars and keynotes uh, and we do uh, custom research and consulting. Um, we're mostly a, a research training and consulting firm. We work for organizations in every industry. Um, but for individuals looking for help with their own careers, uh, you'll find it hard to pay us. Uh, if you go to the website, you'll just find lots of free stuff. Well, this has been great, Bruce. Lots of learning from you. We look forward to your book. But uh, I'd like to ask you for one takeaway for the listeners that you'd like to leave with them, anything that you'd like to say? Yes. Uh, if you really want to be indispensable at work, don't try to do everything for everyone. Uh, really, truly serve others. Be valuable to others uh, by having confidence in your integrity and stay aligned uh, through structured communication uh, and, and know when to say no and how to say yes. And I guess don't think you can outwork everybody. It's much more important to work smart and finish what you start. 
And any tips for the ones looking for work at this point with, you know, millions of people out there out of work? Well, yeah, the first thing is take care of yourself. Learn something every day. Make your body stronger every day. Do push-ups. Take a walk. Uh, uh, eat your vegetables and take a walk. Learn something every day. Uh, believe in something. If you pray, pray. If, if you meditate, meditate. If you read poetry, read poetry. Believe in something. And sir, if you are focused on what you have to offer others, then your value is going to shine through no matter what you do. That's great advice. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure having you on the show, talking about your company, your book, your career, and all the best for the release. And we look forward to seeing the book soon. Hey, thank you so much for including me and thanks for making it so easy and so fun. Thank you. I hope you liked that episode and are enjoying all the episodes in Plan B Success Podcast. I'd encourage you to go subscribe on your favorite platform, whether it's any listening platform or YouTube or wherever you listen to podcasts. Make sure you subscribe so that you enjoy this content and extract from it what serves you best, what benefits you in your own life, personal, professional, business, whatever it might be. PlanB.Live is the website where you can go in order to find any episode that you would like to listen to. Three times a week, we release episodes, the first being an inspiring interview with someone who's done it, been there, done that, and can inspire you to go after what you want to achieve. Every Monday, that's the episode that gets released. And then, on Wednesdays and Fridays, we pick a topic and we talk about it in order to benefit you in your personal and professional life. At the same time, if you're someone who's interested in learning more about these concepts, if you're someone who's interested in podcasting as well, go check out planbsuccessschool.thinkific.com. That's where all the online courses are. You can learn and benefit from them there as well. There's a bunch of free courses. There's a bunch of paid courses. Start with the free ones. Get to learn what you aspire to learn. And if you want to delve deeper, then you can sign up for the other ones. Thank you very much.